What if I told you that a chicken parm a day could keep the doctor away? I'm Giovanni Collada, and episode 9 of the Beacon Street Buzz, the guys and I commence BU Hate Week. And what better way to ring in the Battle of Com Ave than with our biggest celebrity yet? ESPN NHL anchor and college hockey, a little goodwill hunting impression there, rankings mastermind John Bujagras sits down with the guys and I as we preview BC Hockey's double against BU as well as the Eagles' outlook for the rest of the season. Can they make the tournament and maybe even join Bucci down in Tampa for the Frozen Four? Also, we talk about the return of John's show, The Point, as well as his upcoming broadcast of the All-Star Skills Challenge in February. In addition, Booch picks his favorite Sports Center co-host and his favorite parm in Boston. Yes, please. For this BU Week special edition, ease, let's get buzzing and enter Bucci. Episode 9 of Beacon Street Buzz, we're back on BU Hate Week here on the Heights. And tonight we have, or actually today, because our first afternoon show, um, we have a very prominent guest with us today. Someone that does what we do, but a little bit better than we do it. A much bigger stage a than month, we do it on. Oh yeah. It's only ESPN. Yeah. He's been, the, as Nick said, an ESPN anchor and columnist since 1996. And since the NHL returned to ESPN's coverage in 2021 he has been the focal point he's a published author and a father of three and the creator of the bucci main college hockey rankings and an avid chicken parm lover ladies and gentlemen welcome john bucci to the buzz Thank you. as i as i struggle to get through the intro how are you doing today bucci good I, it, this is impressive it takes seven people for this production Oh, uh, yeah, we got a lot of people. We got board. a lot of people. That's too many men on the ice, so you're already down a man. Someone has yep. to leave. Someone's got to get in the penalty box. Paul, All right, I'm, I'm leaving box? now. Thanks, John. Paul, you're I'm, out. I vote Jack. Yeah, Paul's out. Paul's out. <laughs> no, Paul can stay. Paul. I do vote for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're obviously a BC podcast, so we do want to talk a little BC today. Um, you sure. put BC in your rankings on January 8th after we beat uh, UMass in Frozen Fenway. What have you seen from the Eagles this year that's led you to put them in that college hockey rankings? And am I pronouncing that right? College hockey, correct. Just think, you know, Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. That's the best way to, you know, to work on that accent. A little Boston twang there. I love that. Yeah, mom and dad grew up. You in like South- apples? Yeah, yeah. My mom and dad grew up in South Boston, so I grew up with the Boston accent. And uh, and all my friends were coming over to my house just to listen to my parents talk because, you know, back in the day, the Boston accent wasn't as, you know, wasn't quite a commodity that it is today. It, w- it was pretty out there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I was the first one to have BC crack my top 16. Um, and that was really after I did the BUBC game that we had on ESPNU. And to see them in person, you know, to see how, you know, dynamic they are. And, of course, Cutter Gauthier, who has a you know, chance to really be a dominant player. Um, so, yeah, they, they impressed me enough there. And the way they were trending – and you know, the, over, I like I kind of look at how you've been playing the last month or two, 
who you've beaten, your schedule, and uh, when I kind of look at my ranking. So, uh, yeah, they, they impressed me in person. And um, so we had them up there. But then, of course, they've had a, a tough little couple games. It was against Vermont, I believe, last weekend. So, uh, you yeah, know, not, not, good. So, not good. So they're currently out. And uh, it, it was a tough week for Hockey East. They've had a tough couple of weeks. Uh, they went from a – looks like a, a, a league that was going to have four or five teams, and now we're down to about two. So – but there's time, you know, it's still January, Time, plenty of time to go on a heater and, uh, and get back up there. Yeah, as a as a Philly fan and a Flyers fan, I'm kind of torn between uh, right. what I want them to do, come back for another year at BC or move on to our professional team. Yeah, unless he's playing with really good players, unless they put him in a position, you know, like a top six position where he can really get minutes. You know, why not come back again, play one more 35-game schedule in college and play, you know, 20 minutes a night and uh, and have a good time, you know, with your buds and really create those, those you know, cr- friendships that will last a lifetime in college. Those are my best ones to this day. So, uh, but yeah, there's, you know, I'm sure as they look at him and again, these next three months, he might take another jump up. You can make at that age when you're young like that, you can make pretty big jumps every three months, strength wise and obviously experience in his game. So it'd be fun to watch him, especially that's what I love to see. Well, even, even the hockey's playoffs get in there and, and see how he performs on these big stages. And, uh, and, you know, he had that at the world junior, a little bit, had those chances at the world junior, he had a couple of chances, didn't really stand out. I thought in that, in the, in the game against Canada, but he did have a couple chances. He almost buried, uh, he's kind of, he, he can be quiet for a while, then boom, just come out, come out of nowhere because of that shot. So it'll be interesting to see, but he's certainly, uh, you know, the better he is, the better they'll be this year. Yeah. Booch, as you, as you mentioned, you know, tough weekend for hockey East, um, especially for BC with two losses to Vermont, how does that, you know, losing to a team that's lower in the rankings, how does that really, how does that affect BC going forward and their chances of making it? Yeah, that really hurts. Yeah, that really hurts. When you use the pairwise ranking system that they use, you know, it's all computer-based in in college hockey. Um, It's not, and not the eye test or anything. So you obviously want to get those good wins. You know, you want to beat the high-ranked teams, but losing to a real low-ranked team really hurts. And you, you got to try to avoid those. And so that's, it's you know, they'll have to make up for it. So, you know, the next time, you know, as they play the the, the upper echelon teams the rest of the way, they, they got to win some. Got to win some road games, maybe a couple sweeps at home. And so, yeah, it can change quickly. And obviously that, that bubble, you know, from 18 to 12, it's there's there's room there as long as you finish strong. So, but yeah, you don't want to lose to teams, you know, with that big number next to their next to their name in terms of pairwise rankings. That, that can really hurt you. Yeah, so... Obviously, moving into next week, you got BU twice. I mean, those are both two games that I think you have to win. Um, do you think that BC, looking at the rest of their season, can they make the tournament? And if so, is it only through the EC, um, sorry, Hockey East Championship, or is it through they're just ranked high enough? By the end of the year. Right, yeah. Well, that's what we'll to wait and see, right? You, you finish out your regular season, and then you, you know, obviously, uh, I mean, a sweep of BU would be monumental. That would, that would be a lot of points, and because uh, BU is obviously a high rank. I got BU in my top four right now as a as a as a one seed. So they've been good for two months. They play a pretty good schedule, and um, you know, their their non conference was pretty good. They got a win again at Michigan. Got trucked one game but they came back and that's a good anytime you get a road win against a high-ranked team that's good um you know road splits against good teams are good and so yeah so now if, but if they're not in that position you're right they got the hockey east to try to go through and win it that, you know and uh that's a big ask for anybody i mean it's hard to win these things but yeah the regular season you know you've got to start stacking wins and, and get those pairwise points in the bank 
And, um, and so that's what, you know, that, that's what they're going to have to do now. So the, it's going to have to be a red hot um, rest of the way. Otherwise, yep, they'll have to they'll have to win that Hockey East tournament to get that automatic bid. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I got, yeah. yeah, I'll take it. Uh, hi, John. I'm Noah. Uh, so I should hi, ask Noah. you, we got a game Friday and Saturday, and, you know, they're pretty big for us. We went to BU. They didn't seem too excited. Do you think we have a chance to sweep them this weekend? I mean, boy, like I said, that's a big ask. BU is going. Uh, they, they're an experienced team with lots of talent. They seem to, you know, when you beat a team like Cornell at the buzzer, like that, you start to believe, like maybe it's our year. Like maybe we, maybe you know, all the mojos in our favor, and that it's that we're a team of destiny. You know, you start winning stuff like that, and sometimes you are. They have a goalie who will probably play in the NHL. You know, he's really good. Um, so they're, you know, they're a pretty good all-around team. They got some good talent. So it's, it's that's a big ask. But you know, like like we said, you need to get these big points, and uh, you know, they certainly took care of them on Jerry York night, and they were awesome. Now BU is down a you know a couple of their best players, their best players at the World Junior probably. So uh, you know they were down a man there, but you know these these are the ones if you want to do it you got to do it and so you got to show up and um the first one's a big one obviously because you can't win them both if you don't win the first so that's going to be a lot of fun um i'll be watching and uh looking forward to seeing it yeah um so obviously we have beam high here uh, the biggest tournament in all of massachusetts but do you think if we were to win bean pot it would significantly jump us up in the rankings of some sort Yes, I mean certainly that's a that'd be awesome. I mean, you know, just, you know, just to win the bean pot is so cool. Just to get the trophy, the stories, um, and everything. So it, it's really more about that for the players. You know, it, it's just it's something that you never forget. And this year, you know, you, the thing it's funny. You know, before it was either it was BU or BC forever at the bean pot. Now the you know with all the parity in college hockey. You know, there's not enough teams. There's too many players. All the coaches are good as well. There's too many good coaches. There's not enough coaches for the team. So there's really a glut of players and coaches. So therefore, we have all this parity. And now, you know, Northeastern, Harvard, BC, BU, they're all they're all equals now. Where for so long, BU and BC were, you know, a complete step up. But, you know, kids don't, uh, you know, hockey overall in Massachusetts is down a bit from the youth level. And so they're not producing that large amounts of D1 players that, for the most part, a percentage would always stay in in Boston, stay in New England, play for BU or BC. That was always their first choice. It's one or the other. Um, but now with the youth hockey not producing as much as Minnesota, you know, these sta- other states, then, you know, you don't get the local kid as much, which also affects attendance. Just think of, you know, if you have seven kids from Massachusetts on your roster, when you think about the family, friends, neighbors, it's like every guy probably brought like 15, 20 fans to the game, you know. So if you had eight kids from Massachusetts, you might maybe an extra two, 300 people in the stands. And, uh, you know, you bring kids from out of state, you know, their parents aren't going to come to every game, certainly their relatives. So that was kind of an interesting point I thought about recently that how when you, you know, both, you know, both BU and BC used to have a lot of kids from Massachusetts when you get those line sheets and where's everybody from? You know, now you're down to like one or two. So it, that's an interesting, you know, that's what's kind of happened as well here. Um, why all four teams are so equal. Um, so, yeah, it's good. whoever wins it, it's going to really not only whatever points or whatever, you know, you get, but just, you know, mentally the momentum you can build off that, that you can hopefully push for the rest of the way. Cause now we're in kind of, obviously we're getting close here. You know, we're, we're less than two months away from uh, the NCAA tournament and the uh, selection show, which I'll be doing again this year, which I'm looking forward to. Then I'll do one of the regionals, either Manchester or Bridgeport. 
and then I'll do my 10th Frozen Four in Tampa in April. So, yeah, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. And for a team like BC, like we said, they're a bubble team currently out. Um, they got It's time to go. Exactly. We really hope we go in there with you to your 10th Frozen Four. And, um, All right. Moving, moving into your career now and how you've returned to ESPN's hockey coverage of the NHL, I watched an interview of yours where you said that you were really hyped to get back to that. You took a couple, you know, a less workload at ESPN and hoping that hockey would come back. And what's that been like having it back for um, a little over two years now and um, getting your own show at the point? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, like I said, it came at the perfect time. You know, I, it left in 2004 um, when you guys were probably in diapers, which is really depressing. Um, and so, but I, I kept writing my column. I started writing my hockey column on ESPN.com in 2001. So I, I wrote that, you know, for about 15 years until my son played his last high school game um, as, um, that I wrote about. And that kind of emptied the tank for me. It was like, man, I, I kind of, I always wrote pretty, you know, personally and a lot. And so it was a, it was a, it was a long 15, 16 year writing once a week career. So that, I feel like that was a good way to end that part of my, of my career. I missed it. And, and parts of me would love to kind of get back into a little bit more writing outside of Twitter. That's why I like Twitter. Cause I do like to write and it gives me my chance to express my views on a player or something. And, you know, really mostly I just like shining the positive on, on players and, and the skill and the love of the game. That's how I wrote my column as well. My blog, as I used to call them, a co combination blog and column. And um, so I kind of missed that, but at least Twitter does. It helps me flex that part of my brain. I enjoy it was just writing and expressing uh, about the game that I enjoy so much. So, uh, so at least I had that. To, so I had the column. So once the column went away, then, you know, uh, that, you know, Twitter kind of did fill that gap a little bit for me. And even, even the, you know, even the Butch Overtime Challenge and college hockey, that kind of, even though we lost hockey, that kind of kept me relevant in the, in the social conversation. And what's really, I didn't realize really until recently is even amongst the current NHL players, like, the, you know, the guys in their prime, the guys in their early twenties, you know, Austin Matthews and, you know, Cole Caulfield, that generation, like they grew up with me on Twitter and uh, and the Bucci Overtime Challenge. I saw Matthew Barzell at the recently. He's like, I grew up. I played the Bucci Overtime Challenge when I was a kid. You know, and it kind of checks out. I've been doing that for like I think twelve years now. So again, so if you were, you know, if you're twenty two years old, then you've been, you know, and, and you played that game. You've, you've been playing it since you were ten. You know, so and and I made. I think I made a bigger connection with the current players because. I had I we weren't on television, so I focused on college hockey and the Booch Overtime Challenge and other stuff. So they kind of grew up with me there. You know, Austin Matthews was sending me DMs when he was seventeen, asking for a Booch Overtime Challenge T-shirt. You know, stuff like that. So now, Future now that we get winner, hockey yeah. back, yeah. So now we get hockey back. Last year, I'm walking into rinks, and all these guys are coming up to me without. So I didn't need to reintroduce myself. They kind of already knew. And so like when my bosses are with me and they see that, they're like, whoa, everybody knows you. Go, oh, yeah, I know you don't know that. But yeah, they, they, you know, I just kind of grew up with them. And so it's kind of neat that uh, when that dawned on me that a lot of these guys, how they grew up with me. And, and in some ways, it was better that we did lose hockey and that I made my own kind of signature um, little stamp via social media, which because that's the, that's what's great about social media. You're the producer, you're the director, you're the you're everything. You know, you produce the whole thing. And I like doing. I like I like 
you know, since I started my career, I, I like doing everything. I used to like taking the camera and going out to a local high school game and making music videos from all the best plays of the high school season and stuff. And then I worked in Providence. So I've always enjoyed creating and the whole video aspect and writing and, and anchoring like NHL tonight and now the point and then now play by play, which obviously I, I love to do is my favorite thing and trying to get better at that with NHL games while I do my few college hockey games, which I started actually 2006. So I've been doing college hockey for about 16 years now. Um, you know, I first it was just the NCAA tournament. And then starting 2013 was my first Frozen Four. And then a couple of years after that, we started doing a few regular season games, which is kind of cool. So, um, so yeah, so it's been – now hockey is pretty much, you know, all I do. I still do a few sports centers in the summer, but I don't do sports centers during the hockey season. At least I haven't the last couple of years. So, yeah, you know, to be – I've been at ESPN for 26 years. So to get kind of that reinfusion of energy and enthusiasm – after you've been someplace for so long, that's rare. Most people are sick of their job if they were at the same job for 26 years. You know, they can't wait to leave, can't wait to retire. And now I feel like I'm back in college again and um, can go all day and all night and get plenty of energy and just and love my job. Yeah, you uh, you touched on it there. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we all grew up we all grew up sort of watching you on Sports Center and on ESPN. In Dude. middle school, eating your cereal in the morning. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Waking up with like Gucci. That. It's cool. No, I mean, for I mean, I think I don't know for how well we're hiding it, but I think all of us are kind of starstruck by you. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, but do you do you understand the impact, or do you ever get the feel of the impact of almost like a generation growing up and watching you? I don't really. Yeah, I mean, I'm so it's so cool. I'm grateful for it, but it. What I'm doing, I just don't know. If, I just don't think anybody's watching what I'm doing. It's like you know, and and I'm just really surprised when people say that. I go, really? And like even sometimes I'll have a baseball hat and the sunglasses. I'm just chilling. Maybe I'm at a minor league baseball game or something, and people go, "Boochie!" I go, really? Like, like you? Like I feel like I'm incognito with this hat and these sunglasses and a t-shirt, and and like like I like I stand out like that. Really, I don't look at myself that way. So I, I always got into this business, you know certainly not to be famous or anything. I got into it just because I you know, love sports. I was just, as a kid, I played sports and, and read about it and watched it and devoured it in all kinds of different ways, the passionate part, the analytical part, the historical part. Um, I just loved it all. So that's why I got into business. And, and um, so, yeah, so it's been a, it, it's I, that impact. Yeah. I just don't, certainly I feel it because, you know, I, I, when the players come up to me, like I said, and, and kids of your age, like I hear all the time. Like I, said, I just started hearing that a couple of years ago. I was in middle school. I'd eat my cereal. I'd watch you in the morning. That's when it, when I when I did the late sports center and it would re-air uh, in the morning. Or then I was on noon to three for about three years. So that was a, that was a cool uh, part of my career too. Because like two thousand nine to two thousand twelve, because uh, I got to interview like you know The Rock would come in and Vince Vaughn and all these people because they would come and promote whatever movie they were. And they called a car wash at ESPN where they would do just everything, a radio interview uh, back in the days when they had those uh, internet chats and uh, and sports center. And so they would just, they called a car wash. They do a little bit of everything. I interviewed Aaron Hernandez, the, the Patriots tight end. I mean, the list is long and diverse and crazy of all the people that I got to interview during that cool little three year stretch, you know, playing catch with Matthew Stafford in the hallway, kind of come up with some sort of funny bit. Jerry Rice was an analyst and, and uh, you know, Tony Gwynn and, and all the sports guys. So I kind of, it was neat that I had hockey. Hockey went away. So then I got to kind of build my career with Sports Center, which ended up obviously being great in terms of eyeballs and notoriety and money. You know, made more money. And, uh, and, and now, 
you know, and my kids are all grown and, and, and moved out and everything. So now I'm kind of back in that part of my career where, oh man, I can, I, I, now I can just do what I want to do. I don't, it's not about, you know, not about creating your staking your claim and creating your footing. Cause you're just trying to survive the next contract. It's like, oh, man, did the, am I still going to be here? Am I still going to be here? So there's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of nervousness and you're always kind of wondering what's next. Luckily I've survived the whole time, all the, all the job cuts and everything that have gone through the industry and, and at ESPN. So to still kind of hang around and I guess then for have hockey to show up just when maybe they were, maybe thinking about, yeah, he's been here long enough. Let's move it along, bring in some, you know, bring in some, somebody else. So for hockey to show up just at that time, is, you know, it's worked out perfect. I signed up, you know, a new four-year contract last year. So I know that guarantees me, you know, three and a half more years. And, and so, yeah, it's been all, it's been all sunshine, rainbows, fruity pebbles, the, the whole thing. So I've been uh, real lucky so far and, and so far so good. Perfect. It's, and it's been great. And to Nick's point that he made, um, you are probably the biggest celebrity we've had on this show so far. So, oh. you know, we are definitely, yeah. Noah said by a lot. So, like, we're very, very grateful to have you on here today. Oh, I'm sure you'll do better. You'll do better soon. Oh, we hope. We hope. Well, thank you, Boots. Right, uh, yeah, going on from that, I got a question again about SportsCenter. Growing up, like, we had some greats, like, I mean, Stuart Scott, uh, yep. uh, Chris Berman, like, some awesome anchors. For you, who was your favorite co-anchor that you got to work with when you were on SportsCenter? Well, that's cool. Well, certainly Chris Berman is why I wanted to be a Sports Center anchor. Sports Center went on the air for the first time when I was 13, and we didn't get ESPN where I lived. My cable didn't, my town didn't get it till probably about 1980, I think 81 is when we first got it. And just to see Chris Berman do Sports Center is like, he's talking about music and history and he's having fun. I said, that's what I want to do. And so that's what I wanted to do. So from, you know, I would turn the sound down on the TV and broadcast sports and picked a small school where I could play sports and, and had a campus TV station and a radio station and a school newspaper and, and write about sports and DJ and then anchor, you know, and make videos, like I said, and, and write previews in the newspaper. So Chris, you know, we'd watch ESPN at night, watch the re-airs in the morning and over and over again because, you know, there was no internet video. So if you saw a great catch and you wanted to see it again, you had to wait an hour and, and, and wait again and watch it again. Um, there wasn't even a Sports Center top ten for a long time when I when I watched, so you you wouldn't get a chance to see it again. So that was a big deal. And so then when I get to ESPN and see Chris Berman walking down the hallway dropping f bombs, I go, "Wow, that's amazing!" <laughs> and uh, and I did my first Sports Center on Grammy night, um, and Stuart Scott, Scott was my co-anchor. So that was really cool. I can always say my first Sports Center co-anchor was Stuart. And we're you know we're the same age, and we did stuff together. We golfed, go to concerts, and we just our sensibilities were a lot alike. Um, kind of both in the Midwest and just silly and fun. And so he was, a, and then of course he's just a, obviously a rock star. And so just to kind of be in that shadow was really cool. And, and then, you know, and then towards the end of his life, I, I probably anchored with him more than anybody else his last year of his life as he fought cancer. So that was pretty amazing too in touching, but so many, I mean, Scott Van Pelt, every time we'd go on, there seemed to be a big reaction on social media, which was really flattering at work. We, I wish we had done maybe more and became like a, a thing, a, a permanent type of show. That would have been cool. But, um, you know, John Anderson, I love working with John, maybe the best writer ever at ESPN. And, and we're, again, similar age, similar sensibilities, similar sense of humor. We get each other really well. We push each other. Steve Levy, I've really become really close to. Love Leaves. And, of course, uh, again, another guy who loves to laugh. And I like to make him laugh. And then uh, and certainly all the, you know, so just such a wide variety. That's what's cool about the afternoon. Work with Sage Steele and Chris McKendry. And and uh, and like I said, I, I, some, I wish I kind of kept track when I got hired and 
every sports center I did, like, you know, just like who I work with. And then when I work with someone new, put their name down. I'm kind of curious what the number is, how many different co-anchors I've had. You know, I should probably start to do that. Again, I might miss a couple, but I wonder what that is. Is it 30? Is it 40? Is it 50? I'm not really sure. So I might, I might take that from our, uh, our little get-togethers. I'm going to write down, start writing down all the co-anchors and, and kind of, you know, brainstorm to see what that approximate number is. But, uh, yeah, it's been uh, – it's been really cool to, like I said, get hired there. And, you know, when I first got hired there, I was still kind of young. I was 30 years old. So some of those people, I'm not sure, you know, Bourbon certainly was in Bob Lee when I was in college, uh, you know, and seeing them and now I end up working with them. You know, that was Charlie Steiner was still there. So he might, I think he was, he might've been, I think he might've come after when I was in college, but close. So yeah, that was cool just to see people, then their, your coworkers. And then you, then the people you came in with and the people behind you too. So it was uh, yeah, it's pretty much a dream come true. All right, so, John, you worked with so many great anchors, but you also worked with great athletes. Yeah, I know. Finally yes. joining the conversation, but you worked with some great athletes, too. You said Austin Matthews, Matt Barzell. <laughs> Who says your most interesting interview you've ever had? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think back to the column, because my column, I did – you know, a lot of interviews that way. And, and, uh, but usually it was, you know, like I said, cause I wrote, that's what's cool. What I liked about my column, it wasn't an NHL column. It was really a hockey column. I wrote about my backyard rink or I wrote about my kids playing. Um, just wrote all kinds of, you know, things in the, obviously college and high school and youth hockey and coaching and how, how to parent and, uh, and things like that. Those are my favorite ones. Those are the ones that really got kind of went viral or, or kind of got big. One time I did, uh, I forget whether it was 10 rules or eight rules or 13 rules for new hockey parents uh google that one and uh that one really kind of caught fire just you know because i made it kind of fun and funny but just you know to how to how to when, when you sign up your kid for the first time there's a lot of over enthusiastic parents who kind of really put the pedal to the metal and it was just a just a kind of reminder to slow down a little bit and um and so you know those that those kinds of columns are kind of right in my wheelhouse uh, like ray ferraro who i work with at espn when his mom passed away uh i wrote a, a column about ray and his mom and what what she meant to him and different things he did those were kind of my my sweet spot when I, to write about something so more so than the interviews because uh, you know when my first job on cape cod i interviewed bobby Orr by myself a tripod a camera it's like don't move, Mr. Orr, please. I, I got you centered up. Don't move. Then I would sit down, you know, like this and, and, and talk to him. And he was good. He was a pretty still guy. But um, so, yeah, you know, I interviewed Rocket Richard. I look back, like, you know, you know, obviously I played golf with Wayne Gretzky one day, me and Ray out in California. That was amazing. Um, there he is, New York Ranger, retired. Um, so, yeah, so it's just all those little moments in um, – that, that I've had to talk with these players. I like talking to Trevor Zegris. I think he's really interesting. And, and we've kind of, you know, last year in Buffalo when he scored that amazing goal. And, you know, so we want to talk to him after the game. And so he puts the headset on. And before I'm in, in my, our, one of our producers says, usually it's just the, the person on the ice who interviews him. But they felt like, ah, well, let's put Bucci, you know, Bucci, keep your head. Someone, why don't you talk to him too? Put your headset on. And before I could even ask him anything, he goes, Bucci, Bucci, I saw you in Tim Hortons today. I, I wanted to say hi, but I didn't want to bother you. Uh, I go, I go, yeah, I was, my, and he was still, you know, he's really, he's, he's really, he's got a good touch about him. I was like, uh, 
I think he said something about eating. A, I said, you see me smash that donut, that Boston cream donut? He goes, yeah, two of them. You know, and it, it wasn't, but that's a funny little, you know, just he just he got the bit for a second. And so we just went back and forth. And that was kind of a moment. That was a neat moment that we didn't see in hockey a lot the last few years broadcasting. That fun kind of moment with some of these young guys. But again, that goes back to the whole social media thing where these guys are kind of comfortable with me. So they, they feel like they know me, even though we've never met. You know, that happens a lot that you guys know. You're on social media, you're tick somebody, you'll meet somebody, and then you meet them in person. It's like, you know, you almost know them. And and, and I, I understand that now. Like, uh, I met a reporter. Uh, I was just in Calgary doing the, the Fl- Johnny Gaudreau's return game. And, and there was a reporter there from Canada. And we're on social media. And, and, and back, you know, we go back and I follow them. They follow me. And we go back and forth. And I saw them for the first time in person as they came walking towards me. And I was like, oh, I feel like I know you. So I kind of I know how like well you guys feel now when you watch somebody on, like myself on TV all these years. If I were to meet you you know, uh, out in Boston at some place and you come up there, you'd probably feel like you kind of know me, like you're like you're already a part of your life. You know, I'm just meeting you for the first time. So I kind of I get that vibe. I get that kind of the thing that obviously TV does and social media does. And um, when you see an image of somebody for a long time or, or in my case, when I'm talking to you on television or broadcasting or writing a column um, or doing a little you know video on, on Twitter or Instagram, then you feel like, OK, I hear his voice. I'm talking to him, connecting with him, listening to him. So then you see me in person it's like oh now usually what i get is wow you're a lot taller than i thought you were like i don't know they think you know i'm six four so maybe they thought they think we're all shorter although i am taller than average so maybe you're, you're six four i'm sorry whoa, whoa, whoa. i would have said like six foot maybe <laughs> you're six four yeah see that's what i'm saying people say oh yeah people say wow you're really tall i go well, i never really thought about it yeah you know but yeah i am we, we that, got a six four guy i do here. have legs I saw him at six four myself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the great pleasures of life being six four, being able to see everyone top yeah, top six, of their head. Yeah, you know. six, exactly, it's great for concerts. You know, I, I, I am a little. I always feel like I have to hunt, so I feel bad for the person behind me. But yeah, you know, six four, two oh five, blue eyes, not a big deal. Um, yeah, it's a tough way to go through life. But um, but uh, yeah, so it's uh, so that's what I I get that a lot. Wow, you're taller than I thought. Okay, well, there you go. And um, so, but yeah, so that's that, that's a cool thing uh, about it, and I do understand it. Going back, you know, the question you asked about ten, fifteen minutes ago about the impact, and do you know you have it? And that's actually it reminds me of a story when I was doing NHL Tonight for a couple of year, for a couple about a year and a half, and then I got to go to the All Star Game in nineteen ninety nine, the one that Wayne Gretzky um, uh, he he was the MVP that year down in Tampa, and so it's funny everything comes back to Tampa it seemed for me another Frozen Four this year, and. Uh, so, so I get there, and like there's news conferences, and all the all stars are there. And like I said, that's where I interviewed Rocket Richard, which was really amazing. Now that I think about it, and um, I said everyone was like looking at me. I'm like, what's going on? Like everyone's looking at me. And I, I noticed Mike Madonna's like look, like why is he looking at me from across the room? You know, and and I just didn't realize. You know, we'd been on the. I've been doing that show for about a year and a half. It never dawned on me again. This is pre-internet video. So if you want to watch hockey highlights, you had to watch our show. Our show was real high currency. It's not the case anymore. Sports Center and the high the, the studio shows on television have lost some of their um, impact because you could, we can see all the highlights on, on, on our phones. So, you know, the television show, you don't have to, it's not appointment viewing. You don't have to watch back then you had to watch. It's the only way. So the whole hockey world is watching. And, uh, but that never dawned on me because I was really dumb and you know, I'm still dumb, but, um, you know, I have a giant head, seven and seven eights, but my brain must be, you know, about the size of this thing right there. Cause it just never dawned on me that uh, the hockey world would watch the show. Again, I was young. So again, I was 31, 32. Now I, uh, oh, now I would get it. 
content, why they would watch. They want to see highlights. They want to, um, they want to hear what, you know, Barry Melrose has to say. And it's just, you know, like the first time I met Bobby Orr, like Bobby Orr is at this charity golf tournament. I go, oh, Bobby Orr's here. I grew up with Bobby Orr. And again, he wouldn't remember that interview from our, my very first job on cable. Um, but I walked up to him and he goes, John. And he grabbed my arm. I go, what is going on? Like your mind just explodes. How does he know my name? Well, again, Bobby Orr is an agent at the time. So he's going to watch NHL tonight, every night. He's going to want to see the highlights, what's going on with the league, how his clients are doing. But again, that just never dawned on me. I don't, I don't, you know, it's just, I'm not that smart that way. And, um, and so I was, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's, it, I don't know if it's any good, but, but yeah, so that, that, that surprised me when I was down there in NHL. So everyone's looking and it's like, and as and then someone finally said, "Man, I love your show. I watch it every night." I go, and again, I I didn't hear that because you know there wasn't any feedback. And I go, but it's I guess that makes it. I didn't think anybody's watching. We're on at one in the morning. It's twelve midnight. You know, I just, it just didn't. I'm just in a room with a tiny room with a couple cameras and Barry Melrose, and and we're just talking hockey. And I just never dawned on me that the other side of the camera, people were actually at home eating potato chips, you know, scratching their butt and watching the hockey show. It just didn't, it didn't dawn on me. Again, yeah, so uh, thinking off what Timmy said, obviously you probably have a couple of favorite players you get to interview. Uh, what about, like, maybe a couple of favorite teams, maybe some teams you don't like to cover or travel to, you know? No, I, I, I always I, – that, that was an old NHL Tonight line back in the day. You know, I mean, there's 32 teams now. I forget how many there were when I when I uh, when I said that line, but it would be now like I love all thirty teams equally, you know, all, all thirty two teams equally. That's what I always, that was kind of my line. I when someone would and I was a Bruins fan growing up because again my mom and dad were from South Boston, and so you know my dad watched all the games. I grew up near Pittsburgh, so I, was, I had a weird combination. I was a Steeler fan because my dad was a season ticket holder and the Patriots were like a clown show back then. Um, I was a Celtics fan because there was no basketball team in Pittsburgh. I was a Pirate fan because, again, they're on the radio. They're on um, – you know, I was kind of a casual Red Sox fan. and the, But I was a big Bruins fan because the Bruins were like – you know, they were the hottest team in Boston when I was a little kid. And my dad would listen to games on the radio. We would drive to Pittsburgh a couple times a year to see him in person. So hockey was this really – I always – it was like a gothic – you know, experience for me. It was like, you know, this organ and all this blood, listening on the radio, people fighting. It was like going to church, you know, it was like, to me, it was like an organ and there's like, it's a very, there's violence and the arenas were like big churches. So hockey had like a really gothic uh, experience for me, like a real, like a Marilyn Manson video. It was like just way out there and just really punk rockish it was like man I, I just uh the black parade it was like just amazing to me so it had a big impact on me and so yeah i was a bruins fan but then when i get when i start covering the league in nhl tonight you start meeting people you meet players coaches gms um you know i go on a golf trip uh, almost every year with this gm in the nhl who organizes it and he invites people and some years you can make it some years you can't and hey you know and he because i now i root for him right because like i i know him and and uh so you start rooting for people once you start covering the sport and you don't really you lose that favorite team kind of thing i still when i watch the bruins now i'd like for him to win especially now it's fun like they're this wagon and you you know and you really want them to to do really well and uh, and just because it's fun to watch dominance like that, you know, it's like watching Brady all those years in the Patriots. Like it's fun to watch excellence. And uh, but yeah, you just root for people. You kind of lose that. And no, no, no team I don't like. I guess none of that going on. I always these analysts, all these fans that claim that this this announcer doesn't like my team. 
and this doesn't doesn't like my team. They might like one team more because they have a personal relationship a little bit. That could come out subconsciously. But for the most part, they like their paycheck, and they like it for when it comes every week. And that, that's the only thing they're really concerned about is their job doing well so they get another contract. It's just like a coach, just like a player. You know, you want to do well to get that and a GM. You, know, you want to do well to get the next contract, and they get the next one. You're just trying to survive because, you know, again, it's for the most part, it's a meritocracy. If you stink, you're gone, and sometimes you get a second chance, sometimes you don't. So, yeah, we're just trying to survive, do well, impress our bosses, do a good show, have, you know, get, in my case, I just try to get better and improve. And so, yeah, there's not really favorite teams and least favorite teams um, going on once you become a broadcaster, especially once you've been doing it for as long as I have. All right. So I feel like that's a good transition. You mentioned Brady. Uh, we have, you know, some big football games coming up. And uh, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I am Eagles a, little bit, a little bit more than excited for the upcoming weekend and then two weeks after that. Uh, how do you think the next four games are going to or next four teams are going to end up panning out? Yeah, it's, it's you know it's funny. You just always think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to win every home game. Like even when obviously when Brady when they went in there and they won in overtime and they went right down the field and they and they won. That no moment did I think the Patriots were going to win that game. You know, some some teams have that, and a player like that, you just don't think you can do it on the road. But you know, certainly the Bengals are built to do it, and Joe Burrow. So I think I would I'd probably bet on Joe Burrow if I had to that game. I think the Eagles. Um, are in really good shape to dominate that game, rattle the rookie, and um, as long as offensively they don't turn it over and just you know score 24 points, I think that'll be enough. And so that's why I think the Eagles are in pretty good shape. So um, whether it's the you know Eagles, Bengals, or Eagles, Chiefs, that's probably not not much of a difference there. Both of those would be about the same in terms of matchups and and ratings and everything, and you know star power with Burrow or Mahomes, you can't lose there. But certainly Philadelphia, with the, the passion of the city and the and the and the ratings they get, they get huge ratings. I know the NFL would love for them to, you know, certainly the TV people would love for them to make it. So, you yeah, I'll go, I'll go Eagles, Bengals uh, for all the marbles. Make one guy. I love hearing. I love hearing yeah. that so much. I, I grew up like I, said, I grew up. I was lucky. I grew up a Steelers fan, so the Super Bowl was always my age is the same as the Super Bowl. So I always know what the next Super Bowl number is, and I know how old I am in case I you know, in case I start to lose my mind. That, that's another clue. So I don't, you know, the Steelers won the Super Bowl. They won 9, 10, 13, 14. So just imagine that age, how impressionable you are when your team wins the Super Bowl when you're 9, 10, 13, 14. So it changes that's like, your that's life. With, that's with you forever. Yeah, and I'm a, that, the Steelers are the last team that I really get kind of nervous and angry and yell at the TV about. They're the last favorite team that I do that. Like I'm a very casual Red Sox fan, extremely casual Celtics fan. I can't believe that I don't even want to watch anymore. And I was a gigantic Larry Bird fan and, and basketball. I loved it, but I don't know. I just don't like the three-pointer. I don't like what it's become of basketball. I don't enjoy it anymore. It'd be like if every shot in hockey in hockey was a slap shot from 100 feet. It's like, no, I like the, I like the short area passing, kind of like soccer and um and those little quick where the mind's working fast not the mindless three-pointer i wish they'd play two quarters with the three-pointer and two quarters without it just so we could see old school basketball play play the three in the second and the fourth give a chance a team a chance to come from behind because obviously when you're down 18 it's much easier when there's three points and not just a two point it just didn't have those big comebacks couldn't happen just because of math but i would love to see the old school interior passing game for two quarters in the nba but that's that's getting way off track. But, yeah, I was lucky as a kid. I had those four Super Bowls in six years. I was a Pirate fan. They won when I was 6 and 13. Like I said, the Bruins, I don't remember the Bruins. They were too young. 
Um, yeah, their, their second one they won when I was six. I just don't remember that at all. And the first one they won uh, when I was three. So I don't remember. But they were always good, and they were in the finals. They kept losing to Montreal, but they were always in the finals in the seventies. So every game was big, and I was I'd get I'd wake up nervous. Yeah, like I said, I'm twelve years old. I wake up if my team was in the playoffs, I would wake up nervous. I'd be nauseous all day from the excitement, and that that actually happened right through college when the when the the Celtics and the Lakers were playing in '86 and '87. I was in college, and uh, I'd wake up nervous. The whole wait, waiting for that game at night. I'd be nauseous. I'd be so nervous about the outcome. Like that's, that's how a big a fan that I was. So, yeah. So I was lucky. I always kind of in the in the Celtics won championships. Um, like I said, when I was seven and when I was ten, and then again, obviously when Bird came when I was sixteen and eighteen and twenty. So I just I, I've been real lucky uh, being around championships as a little kid. I think that's what probably cement my love of sports is that feeling of winning, right? That I always had because from all those all those different teams. And um, and I think I would like I would have been a sports fan anyway, but certainly getting some championships, it, it definitely you feel like there's payoff for your emotional investment. If you get that early, you tend I imagine you'll tend to stick with it. I'd be patient for the Red Sox, and again, it was a big deal in '04. I had that same nervousness, waking up and excitement. But now as we've gone on, again, I'm still a fan, but it, it, it's not like it was as I've been longer at ESPN and meet people and meet other players uh, but it's but it's still cool to when they are good I do kind of, I'm probably more a little bandwagon fan now I kind of jump on when things are going good and and, uh, and hope they win and but it's it's probably how a sports fan should be it doesn't wreck me like I did emotionally before win or lose I just kind of chill and watch maybe a little nervousness or just enough excitement to give it adrenaline rush um, and you know, I know some people need to gamble to get that rush. I never did as it's certainly my team. And, and even now there's enough interest, enough joy of watching. I don't need that to watch games and, and to have that extra juice. It, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of fun sometimes to do that. I made a, I like making long-term bets. Like a couple of years ago, I, I put like, you know, th- I don't know, like three, four hundred bucks on good odds on the Sharks to win. It was like ten to one or something. Okay, well, if they win, I'll invite all my college buds to Vegas. We'll have a pool party and just that's all on me. I win like four, four or five grand. We'll all we'll just blow it out of some cabana on a poolside in Vegas if if, if the Sharks were able to win. And they, they they were making a run for a while, but they didn't quite pull it off. So, but in terms of nightly game to game betting, I don't I don't need to do that. I I enjoy watching games. All right, so you said you've been enjoy watching games. Your teams. But you've also said you enjoy playing golf. You met a lot of great people playing golf, like your interaction with yeah. Bobby Orr. What would you say? What's your What's your golf game like? And who have you met playing golf? Yeah, I used to, I used to be really good. I used to be like a one handicap, and I would play in you know I qualify for like the Connecticut like Amateur me. and and stuff like that. I got two hole in ones, one at a par four. Not a big deal. I don't like to talk about it. Um, so, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's true. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, the Newport <laughs> Country Club, uh, Rhode Island. Um, so yeah, I played with Ray Bork. Actually, I wrote a, one of my columns on Ray Bork. Uh, that was a fun column. I wrote about that. And actually, you know, there, there used to be this book series called chicken soup for the soul. It'd be like chicken soup for the soul, anything like cooking or baseball or auto mechanics. Like they would take a bunch of uh, articles about one specific topic and it'd be in this chicken soup for the soul. I, you know, I think the first couple did well. So once you create a brand, Kind of like what I did with, you know, I started these Boots Overtime Challenge t-shirts. The game takes off, so I put it on coasters and and koozies and hats, and that's what happens. You create a brand, and you put on anything. So this chicken soup for the soul. So they, hey, we want to use that column that you were playing golf with Ray Bork, and you were trying to shoot a 77. And I got to the last hole, and I had this putt for birdie to on the last hole. Because I think because it was about twelve holes in, I go. It'd be cool to shoot a seventy-seven with Ray Bork. That's his uniform number. Even though that, at that time, like I said, I I was a good player. That's not a great score for me. 
But I said, I, that, that still would be cool. So I have the last hole, I have a chance for Bert. I'm putting for birdie. So this is perfect. I can putt it kind of like near the hole. It's like a 25-footer downhill, real slippery. And then, you know, maybe that far away, I'll just tap it. This, you know, just hit it that far and then tap in to get my 77 because I was on the green in two. And I, and I had to bogey to get the 77. So I just tap it down. Like, it's ice fast. It's tap it. And I go, okay. And then it's one of those putts, even I think most, even – maybe mediocre golfers, but especially when you can play a little bit, you hit the putt. And as soon as I hit it, I go, Oh my God, it's going to go in. Like, I just knew that the line and this, I didn't want to make it. Like I didn't want to make it. I wanted to miss it, hit it an inch and then tap it in. But I say, Oh my God. So I'm screaming at this ball. Don't go in. First time in the history of golf, someone, you know, shooting a purdy putt. And he yeah, didn't want yeah, to I go was going to say we have opposite, opposite golf problems. And it, and it was so fast. It took forever to get there, but I knew it, I played this. It was, it was at my course. So, you know, I brought Bork at, and I knew it was going to get there. I knew the speed was perfect. And Bork is laughing as I'm saying, don't go in. And it goes in. And part of my, how I finished that column was it's a great lesson about golf and a great lesson about life that, you know, we shouldn't try too hard. The less we try um, to, to create outcomes, sometimes the better things are. Just give it your best shot. Just relax. And sometimes trying to, mi- I tried to miss the putt and I made it. And uh, and so that's to me that was kind of again if you put Ray Bork, John Butcher Grass Golf, that column might come up. And it kind of uh, it kind of um, you know it, it was like a, I, I use it as a lesson for life. I kind of uh, you know don't try so hard. Just let it happen. Do your best and see, and see what happens. And that's kind of been the situation with my career. You know, I never thought I'd work at ESPN this long. Never thought I would, you know, even get to ESPN. Everything was kind of a fluke, you know, and uh, and ended up there. And I've been there for a long time. So, uh, yeah, the, the golfing with Ray. I said that, that round, playing with Wayne Gretzky, and I played pretty well. It was kind of again. It was kind of cool to hear Wayne. Oh, nice putt, nice bird. You know, it's like oh, that was so cool to hear Wayne Gretzky say that. Um, so yeah, so it, golf has brought me to a lot of cool places, met amazing people. And that's what my dad actually, when I was young, my dad, he was in the business world. He would go to these conferences and realize, wow, the big bosses want to play with good players. And my dad was a good athlete, but he picked up golf late and he was terrible. And he had a huge temper. He would throw his clubs, throw his shoes in the lake, everything. Like legitimately went through his shoes in the lake and played the last hole in the socks. And so he didn't grow up with the game. So he wanted me to be good because he saw, wow, if you're good, that actually has a little bit of advantage. So for me, once I grow up and I'm, and I'm decent at golf, so if I invite Ray Bork to play, and we play, and I'm pretty good, well, there's a good chance he'll want to play with me again. Now, if I was terrible, he would rant, run the other way. He wouldn't want to play with me again. So it's And so we, me and Ray have played a couple times, five, six, seven, eight times. He invited me once up to his place. We played one of those celebrity two-man team events one time, uh, which was cool, down in the Mohegan Sun. So, yeah, golf has been a great game. It's such a great social game. It's kind of, The pandemic's actually brought it back. Uh, golf had a real big rebirth. People understand getting outside, getting away from electronics. You know, it's, it's open space, and uh, so it's a. Uh, it's been really good. I'm not again. I'm not as good as I used to be, which is kind of a bummer. But um, it, it's been great for me and great for my. It's enhanced my life in a big way. And my dad was right all those years ago, and he said, "No, I don't want you to get a job in the summer. I want you to play golf every day and get good." And it, it's definitely helped my career. Like I said, these golf trips with these. GMs and players. It gives me information. It gets me inside scoops to get, you know, things like that. You create these relationships where people like you and trust you and know they can count on you. You won't burn them. And golf, I've made a lot through golf. And, uh, it's, it, and so, like I said, I, I thanks dad for doing that all those years ago. It's an, it gave me a great column with Ray Bork, gave me a good column with Wayne Gretzky. 
and uh and a few other golf stories there along the way so uh it, it's been it's been good yeah as a as a fellow golfer and as a fellow one handicapper you know your best rounds come when you're just haven't practiced all week and you just go out there with your dad on a sunday and just hit it and also a fellow modest guy was, apparently Jeez. all right all right yeah man yeah, I am not a one handicap anymore, so you're giving me three aside now. Come on, Jim. We'll we'll tee we'll, we'll tee it up next summer. You come down here to Plymouth. We'll go play Pine Hills or something, and we'll do a, we'll have a little we'll have a little fun. We're gonna hold you to that. Yeah, I. I we, book, we booked the tickets. Yet? I'll look for flights tomorrow. You know, I, I get you us know. out of class for the weekend. Where, where do you live? We'll take the Amtrak down. We'll take the Amtrak down. We're up we, we got two Amtrak. guys in Philly, a couple in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can do you can do Amtrak. You can drive up again. You gotta be a driver. Yes, yeah, you got it. Two two foursomes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll We're carpooling over. So Bucci, as we come to a close here, I thought it'd be a good idea to circle back you to go. your love of chicken parm. No. Uh so we beat BC B U oh yeah. We beat B U that Friday and yep. Sunday night had the chicken parm of my life at <laughs> McElroy Commons, our dining hall here. It was uh, not my, the chicken parm of my life, but just with the celebration of beating BU, yeah. it was just the perfect end to a perfect yeah. weekend. Perfect. <laughs> so this leads me to ask you, did they have chicken parm in the press dining area when you were here for BU? And if so, how was it? Yeah, they didn't. Um, they didn't. So I can't answer that question. They didn't tailor to their guests. Like that, that's last year. I was, in, I was in Seattle doing a cracking game, and I'm there about the third period. All of a sudden, this chef comes in wheeling this giant chicken parm as I'm calling the game. So, which was awesome. And then we talk about it, ha ha, laugh laugh. And then what, what happens is like other teams will be watching or hear about it, or you will post it on Twitter and stuff. And they're like, "Well, we have to give them chicken parm." So I go to Chicago, chicken parm. Go to Carolina chicken parm it was like this is columbus size of a manhole cover chicken parm it was like awesome so yeah so it that was so they were tailoring it to me yes to, to answer your question it hasn't happened yet this year so it feels like maybe i need someone to, to step up soon I, I am doing a game in boston very excited i got a saber bruins game early march i think it's the third um right around there so uh, you know i've never called an nhl game in boston it's called two frozen fours which is cool. Um, last year's Denver won it, and when Providence beat Jack Eichel and BU in 2015. So uh, I've done college games here, but never an NHL games. So that's going to be kind of you know again growing up, listening to games on the radio with my dad, um, being a Bruins fan, and to, to call a game in Boston. Uh, you know, like I said, look back when I'm like this 12 year old kid, 10 year old kid, nine year old kid, and now I would grow up and call a Bruins game. That's pretty. That's pretty mind blowing to me. So I'm really excited about that. And, you know, the night before, I will definitely go to the North End, find some parm. Uh, you just go down Hanover Street. Uh, Ray Bork's place, Tresca, has a, has a nice veal chop. Again, the size of my face, that I, that's delicious. Um, and a uh, cataract. Someone writing this down. Right next, right next door down. to about two doors down from Bork's called Cataracci's. I had some sidewalk parm there during the pandemic me and my son jackson shout out jackson there my third son jackson my kids names are kind of tattooed on my arm can you see them yeah they're right there that's their handwriting yeah there you go yep, yeah you got so it. when i lose my mind i'll have a cheat sheet right here and um 
but me and Jack went up there and we were in, and I got this piece. I took, I took a picture of it and I posted it on Twitter. When people say where to go, I, 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 I go right there. So that's really good. And I was at mama's or mama Mia's or something. What's that? The very first restaurant on Hanover on the right. It's uh, either mama's or Nana's or something like that. I'm not sure, but that's all I had. I had the veal there oh, and nice. it's also good. So yeah, I will find a place. Now I have a recommendation for you when it. you're in sunrise next week, place called Martirano's yes, in Fort Lauderdale. Chicken sure, farm is phenomenal. Chicken. Moderate. Okay, yeah, I'm doing the I'm I'm broadcasting the skills competition, which I'm excited about. Um, on Friday, I did it last year. In Vegas. We're not sponsored, by the way. That's okay. And um, actually, and actually, we're doing they add, they're adding, they're adding a new uh, competition, some sort of hockey golf combination. That I'm going to be doing with Michael Collins, a caddy at ESPN. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. We tape that like I think on Wednesday, and then it'll air during the the skills competition. So I'm not sure they're combining hockey and golf at some island green. So it's pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, you know, follow up to your uh, love of chicken and chicken parm. Uh, our, our uh, really our host, Gio, um, does a sacrilegious thing every Thanksgiving in which he substitutes turkey for chicken. So in your opinion, why should he go to jail? <laughs> nah, man, I am not a fan of turkeys. I have no problem doing that, man. In fact, I'd rather have chicken parm than turkey. Like, I love stuffing, go. love mashed potatoes. Th- but it's Thanksgiving. And I'm let me add, not, he eats like ketchup with the chicken. My point is, like, there's okay. no... Don't, he dips his chicken cutlets in ketchup. That's what we're trying to say. What? <laughs> he, dips he dips his, his chicken, chicken cutlets, cutlets in, in ketchup. ketchup. I mean, I'm a fan of ketchup, but... <laughs> am I going to have a chance to defend myself here? I mean, I'm okay with ketchup on steak. Like, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... You know, I, that's why you want that? That's your jam? That's your jam? I don't judge. But I do judge when you put... Your chicken and ketchup. Although you put chicken, you put chicken tenders and ketchup, right? It's, that's on, that's my point. That's my point. That's it's point. it's tomato tomato. No geo. No geo. sticks. But yeah, the actual like you know, chicken by itself. In oh man, wow. But yeah, some people it doesn't have a lot of you know sometimes by itself it doesn't always have a lot of flavor. So it's a I, tough crowd. You know, it is a little bit of a tough crowd. But it's a tough crowd. Yeah. Tough like crowd. some people tough put ketchup on scrambled eggs. Like I'm not. And again, I, I put ketchup I, on a I'm lot guilty of that. things. I'm guilty of that. I, that's I, that's not my instinct to do. You know, I put it on hash browns in the morning, but I like I like just pepper and scrambled eggs. Like that's enough for me. But and like I said, I'm a big ketchup guy. But you know, I haven't done the ketchup scrambled eggs. Maybe, maybe I should try it. Should I try it, Timmy? You should. It is delicious. Okay. I don't think you have to pull the cord to your mouth, Timmy. It'll still hear you. I think. <laughs> I was I was told I was told before he's been doing this for like. Three months now, and it sounds like he's just having a fight with his microphone every time. I was told before recording to pull it close to your mouth every single time. I record, yeah, you're so. actually now that you do it, you're right. It, it, it does sound better when you do that. There you go. Take yep. it from the pro. Yep. Take it from the pros. It's like he's in talking, um, like you know, he's uh, talking. <laughs> Watch your left. Watch your left. Covering, covering a six there, Timmy. Good job. Um, so that's that's all we got. And Bucci, we're so. Thankful you joined us today as head of the 289th and 290th. Okay, everybody get some applause. That is impressive. Hope you do better. I hope I'm a bridge to bigger and better things and bigger and better guests, but keep it up. Yeah. Um, you guys all look great. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey, you come by Boston, you ever want to have a good time? BC We're right is the here. place for you. We're right here. I'm right, I'm saying, Bruin Sabres, but, you know, right around that time. Come find me. We'll have a good time. We will. We all will. Right, and let's, let's um, tee it up next summer. Yeah, let's do it. Right. Uh, ahead of the uh, ahead of the 289th and 290th battles of Comav, BCBU, Bucci. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, had a great, well. had a great thank time. You. Thank you, boys. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you.